Good morning. Happy New Year. That's pretty cool. I got to do the Christmas message on Christmas Day and a New Year's message on New Year's Day. Pretty neat. Wow, the year 2012. Can you believe it? I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I was born in, I was born in 1970, and when I was a kid, I was calculating, wow, I'll be 30 in the t- year 2000. We're blowing by that now. Wow. The younger people might not think this, but as older guys are getting older all the time, it starts to fly by, doesn't it? It starts to really move. So how was this past year? Was 2011 good to you? You know, when I scan the room and I see the different faces and the different folks we've prayed for, and there's been different things going on in people's lives. There's been struggles and trials. There's also been definite blessings and benefits. Some have enjoyed growth, maturity, and some of us are just maturing and enjoying the (laughs) benefits of age. So last year brought a lot. What will the new year bring? It's a natural question, right? What's it going to be like in 2012? What will the new year bring? You might ask yourself, how can I ensure that I have a good year? How can I be prepared to have a good year responding to how God blesses me and the benefits he provides? How can I be prepared for the trials and struggles that come along? So when we're concerned about the future and we're anxious about what's going to happen, What should we do? Well, this morning, thankfully, that answer is right in front of us. Is that good? Isn't that wonderful? You turn to the Word of God. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Don't you love the Word of God? Everything that we need to live a good and blessed life, to have a good year is right there. Right there. The Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, we're standing at the beginning of this new year. What does the Lord Jesus want to say to us this morning? Chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? 
Or what shall we wear? For after all these things that the Gentiles, the unsaved, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Do you see the secret there for a blessed new year? Is it to worry about the everyday issues in life? What are you going to wear? What are you going to drink? What are you going to eat? Where are you going to find a job? You lost your job. Where are you going to get a new one? What college should you go to? What should you study? How are you going to get the classes? Will we be able to buy a house? Will we be able to sell the house? Will we be able to pay for the mortgage and put food on the table? Will I ever get married? Will I be able to keep my marriage together? These are real issues, aren't they? They're real issues. And we need to consider them. And oftentimes we stay focused on them. just to make sure they get taken care of, right? We'd be negligent if we didn't. You know, we just need to focus on them. What does Jesus say here? He doesn't ever say not to take care of the issues. But what does he say? Don't worry. He said, don't worry about them. Let's talk about what is worry. What is worry? Worry has been defined as to give way to anxiety or unease. Allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Worrying is when we go beyond just thinking about something to take care of it so as to become obsessed with it and its possible bad outcome. One person put it this way, worry is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before the due date. It constantly drains the energy God gives to face daily problems and to fulfill responsibilities. It is therefore a sinful waste. A woman who had lived long enough to have learned some important truths about life remarked, I've had a lot of trouble, most of which never happened. (laughs) She worried about many things that had never occurred and had come to see the total futility of her anxieties. A John Hopkins doctor said this, we don't know why why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but that is a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, think I know we are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, in brain cell and soul, for faith and not fear. To live by worry is to live against reality. I like the way one person dealt with fear. They said this, Every evening I turn worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. (laughs) 
I guess they figured Miles would not be the two of them. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Don't be overly concerned about these issues. You don't have to be worrying about these. They won't lead you to a blessed new year. They won't lead to a blessing in life. If you want to have a truly blessed life, you only need to be concerned about one thing. What does Jesus say? Be concerned about me. Be concerned about my kingdom. Be concerned about my righteousness. I know you need all these other things. If you put me first and trust me, I'll take care of all those other things. You will not only have a blessed 2012, you'll have a blessed life. Sound good? You want to have a blessed year this year? All right, let's talk about that. What does Jesus mean when he says, put, forth, put first my kingdom and my righteousness? What does he mean by that? Well, it's real simple. As far as the definition of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is this. It's where God is king and he has subjects. Everyone has come into a life-changing personal relationship with Jesus Christ as one of those subjects, one of his followers, one of his believers. When you become saved, you are a child of God. And Jesus is your king. He's the Lord of your life. So if you're here this morning, and if you've never been saved, your goal for this year is real simple. You're not in the kingdom of God yet. You need to come into the kingdom of God. You need to seek that first. Seek entrance into the kingdom of God. We mentioned this last week for many of those of you who weren't here. God has a promise for you. He says, when you seek me, you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart. When you seek me, you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart. And if you will do that, and you will seek the Lord Jesus, he'll make himself known to you. You'll see who he is, you'll see who you are. And if you're willing, he'll still receive you into his kingdom. This is the only thing you need to do in 2012. What must you do to be saved? Seek that. I tell you, if you do that, you will have the best year you've ever had in your whole life. I can guarantee that. And a lot of people nodding their heads can guarantee it too. It's been my personal experience. It's the best year you'll ever have in your life. And it only gets better from there. So the first step in seeking first the kingdom of God is making sure you get into the kingdom through a life-changing personal relationship with Jesus Christ, coming into that relationship. So what's the next step? It's seeking his kingdom and his righteousness on a daily basis. As king... Jesus has expectations of his subjects, of his children. He says, if you'll focus on these and not your priorities, on him and not yourself, you'll have a blessed life. What are these expectations that Jesus wants for you and me? Well, one guy wanting to do what God wants prayed this way. He was at a meeting, a Christian meeting, 
And he had a very simple prayer. He said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. That happened to be Bobby Richardson. Probably very few here would know who that was. Played second base for the Yankees in the 50s and 60s with uh, the likes of Mantle and others. Came to know the Lord at 14. And after a, a bad life of a self-professed bad, being a bad husband and a bad, uh, bad father, Mickey Mantle, was led to the Lord later in life by Bobby Richardson. I like his simple prayer here about wanting what God wants. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. What is God's will? It's like a simple phrase, but what does it mean? Let's turn in our Bibles there to 1 Thessalonians 4. The Bible doesn't leave us in the dark. It's going to tell us what God's will for our lives, what it is. What his will is for our lives. First Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, and sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. What does the Lord want for us in this new year? He wants you and he wants me. He wants us to be more dedicated to him, more and more set apart for himself. That's what sanctified means. It means to be set apart and, be, and to be dedicated. You know, like that fine china that only comes out on the special occasions. Like that expensive, specially calibrated tool that you only use on certain projects. That's what he wants in our lives. Lives dedicated to him. No longer abused by the world and sin and the devil. But lives that are dedicated to him. It's a turning from sin and a turning to God. I like this illustration. There's a, there was a gal who, who uh, newly came into a relationship with the Lord. And, one of the, and she wanted to come into this church. One of the church leaders asked her uh, and said, uh, Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? And she said, Yes, sir. And he says, Well, are you still a sinner? She says, to tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then he said, then what real change have you experienced? And she said, you know, I don't know how quite to explain it. Except I used to be a sinner running to sin. But now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running away from sin. 
I thought, that's a really good illustration. That's how it ought to be. She got it right. And by the way, she was accepted into fellowship at this church. That's the change, isn't it? Turning from, we used to be running from, I don't know about you, but I was running from God. Can you relate to that? There's God, and I knew what he was like, and I was running that way. Until he got my attention. He showed me who I was. He showed me where that was leading me. Seems like a little fun now, but what's the destination? Eternity without Christ. And so I run towards God and away from sin. That change is not just for new believers, is it? That should be the desire of our heart every day. A daily desire to run to God and away from sin. That special relationship the Lord wants for us. To know him in a special way. To enjoy him in a special way. And to be used by him in a special way. That's that's the way the Lord wants us to be committed to him in this new year. And this is the truth you see in scripture. By the way, if you ever hear anything, you're in a situation where all you hear is no and no and no. And it's not from the Bible. If all you hear from somebody is, no, you can't do this, and no, you can't do that, and no, you can't, that's not the Lord. When the Lord says no to something, he says yes. It's no to sin and self. Yes to me and blessings and a blessed life. And in this passage in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord is telling us not to abuse our bodies and our minds. Careful of what we see with our eyes like what we used to do he doesn't want us to do that anymore it's what the world would have us to do but he wants us to be different he wants our eyes our bodies our minds to be used for him in an honorable way to be thinking about him to be appreciating him to be learning about him to be praising him and to be serving him it's a battle isn't it it's a battle we've lost too many times. How many times in holy communion with the Lord in the morning is horribly interrupted by a scene from last night's unsanctified entertainment? It's a battle. Even today, the world wants to press us into its mold, it wants to tell you how to live, where to live, what to do, how to spend your money, how to spend your time. How knowledgeable you are, you are about its pursuits. But what, is the, what does the Lord Jesus have for us this morning? Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. As the world wants to press you and me into its mold, what does the Lord have for us? Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't let this world this year, dear believers, press you into its mold. 
Present yourself to the Lord Jesus and let him transform you through his word and transform you into his image. And what's the benefit you see there in verse 2? You do that, what happens? You see more about God. That's the beautiful thing about this idea of being set apart for the Lord. The more you set yourself apart for him and you pursue him, and you deepen your relationship with him, the more you see about what he wants for your life. Well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. And he'll show you. Are you ready for that this year? To have a deeper relationship with the Lord than you've had in the past? Well, let's talk about a few practical um, applications here. Begin every morning. Start every morning seeking the Lord. You know, I, I, you, know, I, you know who I get that from? I get it from the Lord Jesus. It just looked like you read the Gospels. It was his habit. He could have spent who knows how long at night ministering to people. What does it say in the next verse? And he woke up all good ways before it was daybreak, a long time before it was day. And he went out in a solitary place to pray. He sought the face of his father. This is God in the flesh. And if he made a priority out of spending time with his father, <laughs> how much more of me, a sinner? I need to see him. I need to seek him. You know, I think most of you, if I made an appointment with you, I said, hey, I'd like to come over. You got some time? We could spend some time together. I'm sure most of you would say yes. I'm sure if the governor, it's not Longer Arnold, it's uh, what, governor, back to Governor Brown, right? He calls you up and said, I'd like to stop by. I think you might make some time. Maybe even the president, if you're so in, if you like to. This is the God of the universe. Wow, think of that. I want to spend some time with you. Wow, what a privilege. What a privilege. And then you go and you see the face of God. You spend time in his word. And then you, hear, you see him speaking to you. You listen for what he's saying. And then you talk to him in prayer about what he's saying. And then you commit yourself to doing what he has you to do that day. Jesus says, you wake me morning by morning to hear is the learned. Jesus did that. Listening to the Father and then doing what he wanted him to do in that day. Think about that every morning. Not forced. Not compulsion. Out of love. Out of desire. Where are you going to find when you do that? I think you're going to find an end for your frustrations. We all get frustrated, don't we? You know, I've got a real simple definition of frustration. Frustration is me not getting my way. It's real simple. You know? This is a certain person. They don't treat you the way you like. Right? At work or at home. They need to treat you better. But you know what? That's just not where God has them right now. So you say, but Lord, they're wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. And that's where I have them right now. All right, Lord. You're in a situation in life. And you want it worked out. And it needs to be worked out the right way. You know what the definition of the right way is? The way you want it worked out. That's not where God has the situation. You know, see, we have our situations like this. That needs to be fixed. And God's saying, you don't understand. I'm doing this. 
And that's not going to get it fixed like that right now. Maybe never. And you have no idea why. You see? So you got to exchange your wills. Take your frustrations and say, Lord, I'm not going to be frustrated. I don't have to be frustrated. The only way I can be frustrated is if I have my own agenda. And I'm going to take my agenda and give it to you. And I'm just going to take yours. And we'll just see what happens. I'll trust you. We'll see what happens. See what you're doing. Spend time with the Lord every morning. Put to death frustrations. And I think also accountability. Find someone to be accountable to. Find someone who shares your thoughts on this, who wants to grow in the Lord and will help keep you accountable and what you know the Lord wants for your life. I've done this and it's been helpful to me. It's someone who cares about me and they encourage me to keep me accountable in my weaknesses and they encourage me to pick up, to not give up, and to keep moving on. Find someone you can be accountable with. The next thing is seek discipleship. It's, a, it's an age-old concept that those more mature help those who are younger. I'm going to speak to all the young people here right now. Seek discipleship. Older people are here for you. They're waiting for you to seek it. And it'll be for your benefit. The Lord Jesus exemplified it. And we ought to follow it as well. The next thing, have a good forgetter. You have a good forgetter? You know what a good forgetter is? You just don't remember things. Just try to let it go. That's what I like about what Paul said. Let's turn there, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I like that. He says forgetting. Have a good forgetter. Well, you're not supposed to remember things. That's what experience is for, right? But look at the context of what he's talking about. It's, some things are good to forget. Two things especially. Let your failures go. Forget, forget about those. We'll talk more about that in, 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 in the next subject. But you know what? Forget about your successes. You know? One of the biggest traps I think we can fall into as believers is wanting recognition. Wanting to be recognized. This is how much work I do. This is what I've done. Hey, did anyone see it? Did anyone appreciate it? It's a trap. No one. No one's going to be able to appreciate you except the Lord. Now, I think I should show appreciation for you. I'm sorry when I don't. But don't look for it. Don't seek it. Like we mentioned last week, be like that, I guess it was a, uh, Thanksgiving, that unprofitable servant. He says, oh, no, nothing, just, do, just doing what I'm told. Wasn't anything. Jesus said, Be careful. Don't serve me to be seen or recognized by others. Don't see great things to be recognized. Let's just forget about them. 
and go on. And then, to me, this is one of the biggest ones. Don't give up. That's simple. Don't give up. We have a tendency to give up, don't we? Things get tough. You know, it's hard. And it doesn't look like it's going to change or get any better. So we give up. Let me tell you, don't give up, young people. Don't give up. Maybe you've missed that opportunity. Maybe you've messed up that responsibility. Maybe for the umpteenth time you've, blew, you've blown it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Now, this is why I hate New Year's resolutions. You know? New Year's resolutions, they're, they're man-made, and you get one shot a year. You know? And you usually blow it, and you just blow it off. The nice thing about the Lord is, He's the God of second chances. He's the God you can come to and say, Lord, I blew it. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. He said, I forgive you. And I cleanse you from everything you've done wrong. Now let's go. We've got work to do. And I'm going to work in you. And I'm going to work through you to get my work done. It's the God of second chances. So I was trying to teach Peter. Peter said, I forgive him seven times. <laughs> Peter, no, 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 70 times seven. You're going to deny me. You're going to forsake me. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to use you. But it's not just the young people who can't give up. It's the older people too. You can't quit now. You can't stop running now. Oh, come on, Charlie, I'm done. I'm done running. Let the younger people do it. Well, let me ask you a question. When you're running a race and you, you see someone running a race and they're 26 miles into that 26.2 mile marathon, when do you want to see them really start running? It's right there at the end, huh? It's right there at the end. Now's not the time to stop. That's when you got to kick it in. Why? Because you want to win. You want to win. And in this context, who do you want to win for? You want to win for the Lord Jesus. That's who you want to win for. And we all need you. It's the older saints who give, who give guidance, who give leadership to the younger ones who have the strength. The desire. I tell you, get, get an accountability partner. Get someone you can partner up with. Uh, accountability or someone to disciple you or both. Someone's cheering for you, praying for you. Encourage you not to give up. You're not closer to Jesus. We do that, what's going to happen? What's the changes going to be like? Well, you know, it has an effect. It has an effect on us when we draw close to the Lord like that. You read Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. You might not want to, you might not want to turn there because it's, it's kind of a dangerous verse. Yeah, a lot of people didn't turn there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining 
and grumbling. Or excuse me, this version says disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I think most of us are just natural complainers. You think? I know I am. I start complaining, I don't even know it yet. It takes me a good couple <laughs> minutes later to figure out I was complaining. Now it's even worse. Now I complain with a smile on my face. <laughs> Crack a joke, you know, use nice words, but it's still a complaint. How do I know? How do I know it's still a complaint? I'm not arguing. There's no frown on my face. Well, does it sound like this? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Nah, it didn't sound like that. It didn't sound like rejoicing. It wasn't giving thanks. When the situation arises and that uh, thing hits you again, what's your only response? What's your best response? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's a death in the family. Maybe it's that coworker no one can stand, but of course he targets you. Maybe it's the umpteenth time that task is delayed that should have been done a long time ago. Or maybe it's just that relationship that seems like it'll never improve. The one who gave up the glories of heaven, who came, who died for you, has the same wisdom, love, and power as he has allowed this situation. And he's going to work it out for good. He, he promises. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. All things. <laughs> all things. We've got all things working together for good. Give thanks at all times. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hitting that, those complaints right in the stomach. What's our only response? It's not our only response. It's really our best response. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for allowing this situation and by your wisdom, power, and love, it's not greater than I can bear. Thank you for how you're going to work this situation for your glory and my greatest good. I can't see it now, but your word says it, and I believe it. Thank you for how you're going to teach me something about yourself. In this situation, <laughs> help me not to miss it. Don't let me miss it. As we draw closer to the Lord in this next year, as we do these things, what are going to be some of the natural outcomes? People are going to see Jesus in the life of his people. And you know what? They're going to want more of him. He says this, Jesus said in John 12, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Now he said this speaking of how he would die. But ever since then, when people all over the world lift up the Lord Jesus, 
what he did and who he is. And they lift him up in love and appreciation and admiration. You know what? He just draws people to himself. They see that. That's the natural outcome. Well, may I put it this way? If you get on fire for Christ, people will come out just to watch the fire, just watch the burn. And it's true. It's true. We are impressed by people who are dedicated. Sometimes it's in other fields. But it's impressive, isn't it? When you see them on fire for what they do, really dedicated. Listen to this story. There was an actress, and she was gray with cold. In her new movie, she played a ragged derelict who dies in a cheap hotel room. So that, so to prepare for that, for more than half an hour before the scene, she had been hugging a huge bag of ice cubes in an agonizing effort to experience what it was like to be dead. Now the camera turns on. Her co-star plays her derelict lover. He sobs and screams and shakes her body. But through take after take and even between takes, she just lies there, not moving, lifeless. Frightened, a member of the crew whispers to the director, what's going on? She's not breathing. He startles. There's absolutely no sign of life that he can see. He hesitates, then he lets the scene proceed. Yet even after the shot is done and finished, she continues to lie there, gray and still. Only after 10 minutes have passed does she slowly come out of this coma-like state which she had deliberately sunk. What did the director say? Now that is an actress. That is acting. That's what you do when you see dedication, don't you? What would it be like for us to be so in love with the Lord Jesus, so enraptured in him, that the world says, now that is a Christian. That is someone who loves Jesus. Another quick story of dedication. There was a, a situation in Borneo in the 60s. There was these uh, certain fighters called the, the Gurkhas. And uh, they were asked if they would uh, jump from airplanes into combat in, in Indonesia. And the Gurkhas didn't completely understand what was being asked of them. But they bravely said they would do it. They just had a couple of contingencies. They said, we'd like the planes to fly slow and over a swampy area and around as close to 100 feet as you could. And when they explained to the Gurkhas, you understand the parachutes won't have time to open. The Gurkhas said, you mean there's parachutes? <laughs> the guys were dedicated. Now, we don't want anyone jumping out of planes without parachutes for the Lord. We can be dedicated to the Lord Jesus. How much? How much can you be dedicated a good question. Uh, I like an illustration I came across. Of how, how, how dedicated should I be to my wife? You think she's going to work with 85%? No? That's not going to work for you? Sanders, 99% dedication from Eric to work for you? It does, it does. It. Does that work for you, Eliani? Maybe 98% from John? You don't want that, do you? When you're dedicated, 
to something, what do you want? You want 100%. And you've been 100% dedicated to things in your life. 100% dedicated. It doesn't say 100% perfect, but you're dedicated. You get back up, you want to go forward. You're dedicated to the Lord. You spend time with Jesus. He changes you to be like himself. It says in Acts chapter 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And then they realized they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And that's what the Lord wanted. It's been well said that the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. Well, that's what it says in the book. But it's been better said that it's the acts of the Lord Jesus through the apostles. Well, you know, I think that's what the Lord wants for us today. He wants the acts of Jesus through the saints of Calvary Bible Chapel, Fremont, California, 2012. And we haven't even talked about the biggest opportunity. The biggest opportunity to bring glory to the Lord Jesus saved us for a relationship. He wants us to come and uh, come to our lives and change us and make us more like him. There's also another purpose. He said this. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I suffered, I died, and I rose again the third day to pay for the sins of the whole world. Now, repentance and forgiveness of sin is to be preached in my name, beginning with right where you're at and to the whole, and to all the earth. Go, do this, making disciples out of everyone who will listen and respond, teaching them to do all the things I've commanded you. And I'm with you, and I'm coming back. And you know, for a Christian to see another person saved, it's the most natural thing in the world. It's the most natural thing in the world. Uh, I was with uh, Christina. We were watching this. There's a show called Too Cute. And it's two cute kittens. And you see kittens being born. Right? And that's how you know something is mature. When something is mature, it reproduces. If it's mature and it's healthy. Right? Whether that's an animal or a plant, or people. They, when they're mature and they're healthy, they reproduce. You know, and I see that as a natural indicator for a healthy Christian that we see other people saved. This assembly sees people come in being saved. And this assembly multiplies, reproduces, just like in the book of Acts. God wants Calvary Bible Chapel to reproduce, to see people saved, subjects added to the kingdom. And the interesting thing is you don't, have to fo- you don't have to focus on that. You certainly don't have to force it. I had a friend of mine, he sent me a video. He called it uh, uh, Evangelism Linebacker. He was talking about this guy. These guys said, well, you know, this guy wants to talk to people about Jesus, but I don't want to do it. And this linebacker comes out of nowhere and just knocks him over. You don't have to force anything. The exact opposite. It's a good example of what not to do. I appreciate Brother Bill. 
He, he challenged me a long time ago. He says, you show me a dozen exhortations to evangelism, and I'll show you hundreds of commands about sanctification, about holiness, about being set apart for the Lord, being in love with the Lord Jesus, about living for him. It's just the most natural thing in the world. You, you fall in love with the Lord Jesus, and you say, what do you love, Lord? I love seeing other people saved. Oh, you know, I like that too. I like that too. God works through us after he is working in us. Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? Amen. Could come back this year. What better way for the Lord to find us in 2012 than to be focused on him, to be in love with him, actively serving him, and seeing him reaching others through us? Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you. We want to thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gracious God that you are. Lord Jesus, we thank you most of all that you would even come to give us this new life. And we do appreciate it. And we say this morning, Lord Jesus, we love you. We appreciate you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would commit ourselves to this, to loving you more and more, to growing and deepening our relationship with you, to seek you in the morning, to see the face of God before we see the face of men, to set aside our own wills, our own agendas, to forget what is in the past, whether good or bad, and to be looking forward, pressing forward to what you have for us. Lord, you asked that question in your word. Who... who, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Lord, we want to be faithful for when you return. Work in our lives in this year. We commit ourselves to you in this year for your glory, that we would love you and appreciate you more, and then as a result, you work in us and through us. Lord Jesus, for we ask in your name. Amen. Eric's got an announcement for us.